Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast presents Stories from the Cabin, a storytelling podcast within a podcast, featuring tales from the countries and cultures whose people make up the diverse region we know as Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobbick. Hey folks, welcome to this month's episode of Stories from the Cabin. This episode's a little different. One, because I'll be releasing this five days before my birthday. And two, as a birthday treat from me to you, I'm going to be telling a historical event today instead of a fairy tale or a folk story. This was a historical event that was very foundational to myself as a child and really influenced a lot of the nerdy things I did as a kid growing up and maybe is why I'm doing the podcast stuff now. I don't really know. So a lot of my friends on the Twitters over in the UK are paranormal enthusiasts and a lot of them had paranormal investigation teams growing up. I didn't do that. Instead, my best friend and I growing up hunted for aliens. We would, on the on the weekends, Friday, Saturday nights, we would always turn on our CB radios, ham radios, police scanners, and listen to radio frequencies. And then we would build these weird little electronical board thingies to bend radio frequencies and think we were actually finding alien frequencies from outer space. And this was in the mid-90s. We were 10 years old, and we did it up through high school but not really that much in high school. When we got older, it was really just focusing on ham radio stuff and talking to people all over the world. One of the things we would do while we were getting everything set up was put on the X-Files. And at the time, we were obsessed with things like Arecibo and SETI. And one of the episodes of the X-Files was on the wow signal. And as you'll hear, it was found in Ohio from the Ohio State University And we were like, oh my God, they're finding alien frequencies in Ohio. This is the coolest thing ever. Maybe we can find it. And so that's what we did. We we became obsessed with this wow signal. And and not a lot of kids knew what that was. Not a lot of people do now even. But there have been plenty of podcasts and documentaries on the wow signal. So I thought I would tell you that story today. And you can get a little sneak peek into the dumb things I did as a kid growing up. The book I'm reading from today came as a gift from friend of the show, John Ochoa, who I've mentioned several times before. He gave this to me as a gift about a year ago, and I read it probably in about a week because it's a, it's a really good book. So let's get on with the story. From the book, It Came from Ohio, True Tales of the Weird, Wild, and Unexplained by James Renner. The wow signal. Did aliens really contact an Ohio State University professor in 1977? I'm going to put a little podcast editorial note in here. Nowhere in the chapter did James Renner correctly identify the Ohio State University, so I'm just going to kindly go ahead and do that for him. The box arrived on the doorstep of his house that day in August 1977, full of possibilities. Every few days, a technician from THE Ohio State University left a similar box on his doorstep. It was routine. Box arrives, open the box, pour over its contents, repeat. It had been like this for some time. Dr. Jerry Amon took the box inside. He opened it 
pulled out the contents. Pages of paper spat out by an IBM 1130 computer. Printed on the pages were random groups of numbers, mostly ones and twos, that meant nothing to the untrained eye. But to Dr. Amen, the numbers meant everything. The numbers were his life. He was looking for a pattern, and until that day, the pattern had eluded him. And then he saw it. On a page dated August 15th, he noticed a strange sequence of numbers and letters near the left-hand margin. 6-E-Q-U-J-5. The scientist was so excited, he wrote, WOW! next to it. 6-E-Q-U-J-5. A meaningless jumble of symbols to most of us. Only Dr. Amen and a few of his colleagues knew what the symbols must mean. A signal from a race of intelligent beings outside our own solar system. Dr. Amen is an appropriate emissary for planet Earth. He was born on a dairy farm on the outskirts of Buffalo, an only child whose father died early, whose mother was forced to manage the business in his absence until it became too much and they were forced to sell. Mother and son stuck together. After Amon graduated from high school, she moved with him to a house across the street from the university so he could walk to school. Amon was a brainiac, a young man in love with calculations, with physics. In 1960, at the age of 20, he happened upon an article in Reader's Digest about an astronomer named Frank Drake at Cornell, who was using a radio telescope to listen for signs of intelligent life in outer space. Drake's experiment was dubbed Project Ozma, after the fictional land of Oz. Drake was using a telescope at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory in Green Bank, West Virginia, to listen to a radio frequency in range of interstellar hydrogen, a frequency that would surely be known to any intelligent extraterrestrial race. Shortly thereafter, Eamon began searching for a grad school with access to a radio telescope. Initially, Eamon chose the University of Michigan, where he became a research assistant. In 1967, he was courted away by Dr. John Krauss of The Ohio State University, who was constructing a giant radio telescope called the Big Ear on land owned by Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware. Since 1965, Krauss had been using the Big Ear to listen for signals of alien life. He wanted Amon to help him. Using the Big Ear, the team at The Ohio State University mapped more than 20,000 radio sources in the sky, planets, stars, and satellites, and slowly built a map of the known universe. But everything they picked up appeared in the wide-band spectrum of radio waves, a sign that what they were listening to was natural background noise. What they wanted to find were narrow-band signals. The narrower the signal, the more likely it was generated by intelligent beings. For instance, TV broadcasts and AM radio are narrow-band signals that contain a lot of information. What the telescope heard was expressed in numbers by the computer. It worked like this. The big ear, being fixed to the Earth, carved a path across the sky as the planet rotated. If the big ear passed over a star or planet, or some source like a satellite that generates its own radio signal, the sound would be expressed as higher and higher numbers on the computer printout. A distant star might register first as 1, then a 2, then as 1 again as the star passed through the field captured by the telescope. The higher the number, the narrower the band. 
If the source became too powerful to be expressed by a single number, the computer switched to letters, A through Z. The team got excited on the rare occasion that the telescope registered a signal stronger than 4 or 5. In 1972, Congress cut funding and Amon was out of a job. He landed at Franklin University in Columbus as an adjunct professor teaching business calculus and other math courses. The Ohio State University could no longer afford to staff the telescope, so Amon volunteered some of his free time at the Big Ear. Fellow astronomer Bob Dixon and Amon devised rudimentary software so that the telescope could automatically search the sky when no one was around. On autopilot, the only staff the Big Ear needed was a lab technician, who would drop by every three or four days to rip off the printed data. The pages were then packed in a box and dropped off at Amon's home. Years. Years of searching. It would seem a daunting and frustrating exploration for anyone who does not appreciate the math behind it that allows for hope. Our star is one of about 300 billion in our own galaxy, explains Dr. Amon, who still lives in Columbus. Our galaxy is one of about 300 billion other galaxies. To be the only planet with intelligent life among all these stars seems statistically unreasonable. So they kept looking, and on August 15, 1977, Amon found his signal. 6EQUJ5. The signal was narrow band. It was powerful. 30 times more powerful than background noise, and it contained a lot of information. The first thing that Amon and the Big Ear team did was compare the position of the sound to any known object, but they found no planet, no high-flying plane, no satellite. The signal appeared to have come from deep space, somewhere in the vicinity of the group of stars known as Chi Sagittarii. It has all the earmarks of a signal from an extraterrestrial civilization, says Amon. It may have come from a planet outside our solar system that is so far away it is too dim for us to see. Like all good scientists, they tried to find it again. In the years since, and as recently as 1996, other astronomers have trained their telescopes to the same region of sky, in hoping of hearing Amon's wow signal again. All to no avail. For now... The aliens have grown quiet once more. Amon suggests whatever was emitted from the signal may have been an instrument used to project the information to random points of space. Think of it as an alien message broadcast from a dish that randomly scans their sky in hopes that their message reaches some intelligent being on a distant planet they can't see. Perhaps they are looking for us too. Perhaps that beam will be directed at our planet again one day. Still, don't hope for a visit. Though Amon believes in the existence of many other intelligent beings, the distances involved in space travel prohibit face-to-face -face encounter, or even long-distance conversation. If the WOW signal indeed came from a planet circling a star from Chi Sagittarii, it must have been broadcast 220 years ago. Any reply from us would take another 220 years to reach them, and it would take millennia to travel the distance from here to there using the most advanced technology we have at our disposal. The Big Ear was leveled in 1997 to make room for a golf course. These days, Amon is actively involved in his church and spends his free time bowling with friends. He's currently going back to school at the age of 70 to get his ham radio license in an apparent attempt to listen for signals of intelligent life here on Earth.
And that is the story of the wow signal, possible proof of extraterrestrial intelligence. Actually, I think in one of the documentaries or podcasts I'd listened to on the wow signal, I think one of the investigations into it showed that it was not an extraterrestrial radio transmission. It was a glitch in the system or a microwave interference, something like that. I don't really remember, but I could be wrong. I'm still hoping there are aliens out there because that would be pretty cool, right? Unless you take the Stephen Hawking philosophy on the whole thing and we should not be reaching out because we could be telling a warring race of extraterrestrial intelligence where we're located and they could come here and completely wipe us out. But where's the fun in that, Stephen? So that's it for this month's episode of Stories from the Cabin. A little different, a little more personal, a little look into my childhood. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back on the 1st with a new episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. And until then, y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to rate and review this show on whatever platform you use, I'd be much obliged as it helps spread the word. You can email me at appfolklorepod at gmail.com and visit my website shows.acast.com slash afp. You can find me at appfolklorepod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find me on Mastodon at appfolklorepod at thefolklore.cafe. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the AFP cover art. You can find his work on Instagram at inkwellgraphicdesign. Thanks again for listening.